If Christ is king, how should the Christian consider the kingdoms of this world? What does the Bible teach us about human authority and what it means to love our neighbors and our enemies? Before we render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, let's know what it means to render unto God what is God's. This is the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, the modern prophetic voice against war and empire. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. This week and every week on Biblical Anarchy, we seek to live counterculture to the empire of man and to instead seek the kingdom of God by unpacking what the Bible teaches about government, authority, and human relationships. I'm your host, Jacob Daniel. For today's episode, I am republishing a conversation I had last year with John from the Finding Freedom podcast, which is part of the Lions for Liberty network. We had a conversation about my background coming to libertarianism and how my faith has developed alongside of that, as well as exploring some of the common arguments against libertarianism from Christianity or from certain aspects of Christianity that Christians at least think are contrary to libertarianism, such as Romans 13, render unto Caesar, and also just some other critiques that come about, such as like, well, if Christianity and libertarianism are compatible, well, why even talk about libertarianism? Why not just focus on making everyone Christian? And are those mutually exclusive or not? So we touched a lot of different things, and it was a pretty good conversation. So we had this last year again, and this was before I had joined LCI on, I was still just doing the Daniel 3 podcast. But I thought that this was a good conversation that was reflective of focusing in on especially the Romans 13 argument, which I want to start doing a little bit more into that. And I'm actually planning some content where I'm going to have Gregory Baus back on sometime in the next month or so. And we're going to actually do an episode where we handle objections to our interpretation of Romans 13, basically summarize that Romans 13 is prescriptive of godly governance and is not descriptive of the state. So that's all I have for introductions to this. I hope you enjoy this episode with John and that you will subscribe, share this around, rate this if you haven't already yet. It always helps with the algorithms and all that. So we super appreciate it. And also make sure you check out John's show, Finding Freedom, as well as the other shows that the Lions of Liberty Network has. They're all great and come highly recommended. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast network, or maybe you're listening on the Finding Freedom podcast feed. Whichever way you're tuning in, I appreciate your time, and you're really going to enjoy today's episode. Really interesting conversation. I don't want to waste time because I got a great interview today. I want to get right into it. Let's get to the show. Okay, we are live to the Lions of Liberty Pride with one of you, with one of the Lions of Liberty Pride members, Jacob Winograd, not Winograd. I mispronounced that the first time I ever tried. But if you've listened to my show, you've probably heard some ads, some advertisements for his podcast. It's a great podcast called Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy. And I wanted to have Jacob on to talk about his journey to liberty, his journey into becoming a Christian, how the two 
meld together and really dig into some of the topics that he talks about on his show. So Jacob, welcome to Finding Freedom. Yeah, thanks for having me, man. Uh, a longtime follower of the Pride, and it's pretty cool to be on one of these for once instead of on the uh, watching end. <laughs> yeah, that, that's awesome, man. And we do have a couple people watching along as we're broadcasting live, like I said. So if you all have any questions for Jacob, feel free to drop them in the comments and I'll try to ask them. But let's just get started off with introductions really for you. So let's start off with the podcast. When you tell people that you have a podcast and they say, what's it about? How do you explain it? Sure. Yeah. So I do a podcast, as you mentioned, Daniel 3, Biblical Anarchy. And the genesis of that podcast was really, you know, after I became a libertarian, you know, kind of a Rothbardian, Misesian, you know, anarcho-capitalist, I kind of had a sense that there was a deep misunderstanding of like political philosophy and the state in like the modern day church. And so I started sort of a then theological journey back to the Bible to sort of re-explore like political presuppositions and whatnot and to try to hopefully at least see if, you know, libertarian philosophy was at least compatible with the Bible. What I actually came away with was not just a sense of compatibility, but more so a conviction that really the Bible's been tragically misunderstood and there's so many scriptures and passages that have been really throughout history twisted by different regimes to to sort of push their narrative, but really that the original narrative of the entire Bible, Old and New Testament, and of course, none greater than the gospel story and the example that Jesus gave us, that these things are not just compatible with libertarianism, but are necessarily promoting a message of at least libertarianism towards the state and towards human structures and kingdoms of men. And so, you know, I just felt this strong conviction that, like, it's so unfortunate that, you know, so many of us in the liberty movement, we think of right-wing Christian evangelicals and, you know, we associate them with, you know, maybe sometimes, okay, they, they want lower taxes, but they're pushing these, the, these wars and they're pushing the war on drugs and the government being more involved in people's lives and trying to legislate morality. And so I just felt this conviction to be like, you know, I, I there, there's already some great Christian libertarian podcasts out there, but, you know, that's kind of a niche. And I was just like, hey, I want to join in. I want to try to, you know, in my own spheres of influence in my community and in my own way and style, just keep pushing that Overton window in the world of Christendom to promote libertarian ideas and to show, again, how not just the compatibility, but I think the the necessary conclusion one gets from a consistent exegesis of scripture is really a libertarian political philosophy, as well as to, you know, at least maybe a secondary thing is to, you know, n normalize the idea within the liberty movement that Christians don't have to be statists. And as well, you know, for people who aren't religious, I always tell them, you know, you can view the stories in the Bible as, you know, things that you can learn from in the same way that you can study Greek mythology or you can study really any piece of literature and find, you know, archetypical truths within them. So you don't necessarily have to be a religious person to, I think, find value from the biblical stories and the ways in which I try to connect all these different themes. So that's pretty much it. It's funny with libertarians, when you talk to libertarians, we talk to an atheist libertarian, they'll say, well, everyone in the libertarian movement's a Christian. There's so many Christians in the movement. 
And you talk to a Christian libertarian. There's so, everyone who's libertarian is an atheist. Right. So I thought this is weird <laughs> perspective, how people don't see, they just see the opposition or the difference of really belief or faith than really seeing the like-mindedness, which is just sort of a interesting dilemma, I guess. But now I'm curious to find out, did you become a, a Christian first or a libertarian first? So I've pretty much been a Christian my whole life. I'm a pastor kid, so anyone who's a pastor kid knows what that sort of situation brings. You know, I kind of did the stereotypical, you know, rebellion in my youth. I wouldn't say I ever identified as an atheist, but I certainly had a portion of time where I wasn't really pursuing God or pursuing my religious convictions with any sort of effort to pray or study the Bible or care about going to church regularly. But, you know, as I matured and then I got married and started having kids, you know, that changed and the uh, call to be more responsible and to kind of come back to, you know, a, a recommitment to God came. And so, yeah, I was, I was a Christian for kind of been, you know, loosely a Christian my whole life, matured more into, I think, a more deeper understanding of God as an adult. It's sometimes hard when you're a pastor's kid. It's just kind of like there's certain dynamics about that, which are kind of interesting. But yeah, I was a Christian first. And then I actually come from more of the political left. Like I was raised in an evangelical right wing household, but I hated all that. <laughs> and I didn't know there was another way. So I kind of was like, well, I don't like conservatism. And I've always kind of been anti-war, just sort of like temperamentally. Like I always, you know, like I, I remember kind of in my teenage years seeing the kind of the wool come off of the nation's eyes as far as like the war of Iraq and like Afghanistan and all that. And just kind of seeing all the terror and the harm that we had caused them, like we're, the war on terror. And really it's like the Americans are American military is the one doing most of the terrorism. So I just kind of got this like, you know, bad taste in my mouth for conservatism and didn't know really anything about libertarianism. I had heard about, you know, Ron Paul was kind of becoming a thing when I was like late in high school and I was like on the speech and debate team. So I was into politics, but I never really gave him a, an honest shake because it just didn't work out that way. So I kind of fell in with the political left. Like 2015, I was an avid Bernie Sanders supporter and, and pushed for him. Unfortunately, voted for Hillary Clinton in 2016, kind of reluctantly. I bought into the uh, propaganda that Trump was going to be more of a warmonger than she was. But in hindsight, like, say what you want about Trump, but you know, kind of a... You know, at the very least, that's, I think, kind of a silly assumption to make. So, so I'm but. curious. So when you were on the political left, where did you typically get your news from? So I would listen to like the Young Turks, some mainstream stuff, but I, I was always kind of skeptical of the mainstream narrative. So I, I was always looking into alternative media. I liked the Young Turks back in the day. I watched Joe Rogan and he used to kind of have more left of center people on a lot and still does, you know. Watch and listen to like Vox and things like that. David Pakman was another guy I was big into. A uh, couple others can't quite remember, but that's yeah, kind of mostly alternative media. I didn't necessarily always had like that anti-authoritarian streak in me. Like I never really trusted anything mainstream. So I've always been a bit dissident no matter where I was. So was it a moment or something? What happened that triggered your personal, you know, yeah. So part of it, a moment, but you know, yeah. wake up to wake up to liberty. So it was sort of a journey that started with the 2016 election with Trump. Cause like I bought into all the fear mongering about him, right? Like I like he gets elected and like 
my wife is like, you know, are we okay? Like, you know, like, like thinking like all the doomsday things that people have said about him are about to happen. Well, like the entire year of his first year of his presidency passes. And I'm just like, wait, this is kind of more of the same. <laughs> like, it doesn't really make any sense. And then the derangement syndrome around Trump uh, really pushed the left, as we see, like, you know, especially today, that's kind of that's really evolved into something horrific. But that started with Trump in 2016 and the left started going way more radical, way more like even like like doubling and tripling down on identity politics and this cancel culture stuff. And I think my Christian upbringing always made me a bit resistant to that stuff. I kind of got into it a little bit, but never too heavy. And then when they started to get just, you know, rabid with all that, it just no longer like it no longer fit me. And I kind of discovered Dave Rubin around then. And he kind of was having a similar experience of, oh, like, I didn't leave the left, the left left me. So I kind of then was more kind of center, moderate, homeless kind of political person. And I started being more open to talking to right of center people. And then I just kind of started like, like binging different podcasts, trying to learn more about different political points of view. And I think through Dave Rubin and watching Joe Rogan, I just stumbled upon one day a, oh, Sam Cedar was also someone I used to listen to. And so I found a debate between Sam Cedar and Dave Smith on libertarianism, which was interesting. And that kind of like was the first time I ever heard someone really offer compelling economic arguments against sort of like the Bernie Sanders, democratic socialist perspectives on economic disparities and the economic collapse of 2008. And all these, you know, social programs that I thought were necessary. And, you know, so Dave Smith was the first one I heard that offered kind of a compelling case. I started looking more into that and then. Sorry to interrupt, but so, because honestly, most of the people I talk to who come to, you know, understand the ideas of liberty do come from the right. It's not often that I do have someone on from the left. So I have questions about it. (laughs) So when did you first learn about the Federal Reserve and, you know, monetary inflation through Dave Smith yes. there? Was that, was that, yes, that was like the first time those ideas really came up. So then I like, I think I did a search of like Dave Smith, Federal Reserve, and then like conversations between him and Tom Woods came up. So then that really got me, you know, down the rabbit hole of all that. And then it was like very rapidly then after I discovered that, and I was like, this was like 2018, I want to say, I started to really get into libertarian economics. And because I started to realize all of the things I cared about as a lefty, like income inequality, corporate bailouts, bank bailouts, economic instability, and also always kind of being anti-war and against like the war on drugs and all that. I started to realize like, wow, like the Federal Reserve and the government control over currency is like what empowers the government to do all of the worst things that it does that I hate. And also like, I don't know, it just like it just clicked with me that like, okay, yeah, the reason the rich keep getting so much richer and the poor are getting poorer and the middle class is disappearing, like it's not because people the magic's coming magically from nowhere, the money's coming from the Federal Reserve. And this is almost like an intentional Ponzi scheme set up by those in power. And so, you know, it's not like the things I cared about changed. I just got information I had never received before to more accurately understand the problem. Because when you're on the left, I don't think you can accurately understand the problem. You just kind of, I mean, unless you are like, just you have to blame everything on capitalism and capitalism is just the big, bad, you know, boogeyman. 
but when you start listening to libertarians talk about like you know that sort of like Misesian idea like okay well the idea of like economic price calculation and like you know if we don't have a free market well how do you you know central planning doesn't work it just over like a six-month period and talking to libertarians online and stuff who were giving me you know Mises Rothbard you know all that yeah I just kind of transformed into more of a Rothbardian libertarian and I met some local guys from the Mises caucus and they sort of, you know, finished my indoctrination. <laughs> so, to speak. so you were, so, you were somebody who, when you, you know, ran across someone on the internet and said, can you explain this to me? And they said, here, go read this book. You would have read the book. Yes. Actually. Yes. <laughs> I'm an oddity. I'm someone who has had their mind changed by arguing with people on the internet. I'm also someone from the political left who people either from the Mises caucus or like associated with the Mises caucus recruited to libertarianism which is told i told i had dave smith on my podcast like back in april and i told him i was like it's always so funny when people go after him and tom is like these guys are just trying to do this alt-right to libertarian pipeline or whatever and they don't you know i was just like i don't know like i know a lot of people who kind of have that more left to center background like me who kind of came to the lp and the mises caucus and were influenced by by people in that sphere at least even if they aren't directly you know in the caucus yeah i I wouldn't say i even i don't know if i know anybody who's come to libertarianism from the alt-right and i don't even know if the alt-right really exists anymore it doesn't as a political movement i mean it had its moment of uh of of time a few years ago but it's kind of just disappeared well if we're a bunch of trump nationalists it's kind of weird that we're trying to pull votes away from the republican party but that's a whole separate topic (laughs) So to to dig into Christianity and libertarianism, I've heard you talk about, I think you talked about here in the beginning of the show, where you you started to see the ideas, common ideas, common values in each of them. Can you talk a little bit about some of those overlaps and what you did to explore and, and connect the dots? Yeah, sure. So I think what started... And this is sort of like everyone who starts to look into any sort of like, what does the Bible talk about politics? Like they're going to be directed to sort of like key passages that are that that Christians have historically used to justify the idea of like the state or like monopolistic, you know, civil governance. So that's kind of where I started because I wanted to see like, you know, I think my motivation was, well, are there any loopholes that I can find in these passages? But it was kind of encouraging to me early on that when I went to these passages, not only were they not incompatible with libertarianism, I thought they were actually, when you understood them in their original context, they were preaching libertarianism. So one I like to start with is Romans 13. And this is sort of like the boogeyman of, you know, like, you know, why Christians can't be libertarians. And and it's going to be Romans 13 bashed over your head endlessly. And when you go and read Romans 13 and, you know, Romans 13 doesn't exist in a vacuum, right? Like it it was written in a, as an entire letter that Paul wrote. So what happens immediately before Romans 13 is important. The context is in Romans 12, Paul is sort of echoing Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and saying, like, to, to summarize that, you know, God, with God rests the final judgment of people and he brings vengeance on the wicked and that's not our job. Our, you know, our job is sort of like to turn the other cheek, to love not just our neighbors, but to love our enemies and to 
not be overcome by the evil oppression of people who are trying to do harm and to try to like you know meet fire with fire and overcome you know darkness with darkness but rather that only light can drive out darkness and we're supposed to overcome evil with good so romans 13 then goes and talks about civil governance in that context because like the natural question someone would have to what paul is talking about in romans 12 is okay well well are we just supposed to roll over and let bad people kill everybody and steal from everybody and just try to be like well thank you sir can i have another and just (laughs) then just let evil abound and so paul clarifying that no there is supposed to be uh those who and the the original greek here is the hyper acousia which basically means the higher or godly authorities so it's important to start out like god's not using like paul wasn't using a word that would describe the state he's talking he's using a generic term godly or heavenly authorities and they are um so we're talking about the the modern context of right. political authority yeah. yeah you know what's funny some people forget this is that contrary to some evangelical christian beliefs the bible was not written in english <laughs> you have to actually go back and understand a little bit of greek and a little bit of the cultural context it was written in but yeah so the godly authorities are ordained by God for the administration of civil governance. And what that means, and it goes on to explain what this means. He says, they are ministers of God for your good. If you do good, you have nothing to fear from those who are in authority. But if you do evil, beware, for they do not bear the sword in vain. Um, so, and it expounds upon that to say that those who do good continue to do good and they will be protected from those who do evil so it's like okay so god is describing that there are people who will be ordained to exercise godly authority to administer justice well libertarians are not against the idea of administering justice against those who would violate the rights of others right like we're not like we're not the misunderstood or like the often troped idea of what anarchy is where it's just like no rules and anything goes right you know and yeah, those of us who are out there saying that you should just be allowed to murder your neighbor right exactly so we're not advocating for that right like we're not against rules right so so right away it's like okay well what should the people who are in governance do then to ad- administer those rules and it's very clear here it says that those who are in godly positions of godly authority are not a terror to those who do good so romans 13 is not describing every state or every institution of human governance that's ever existed right because that would make no sense like to call nazi germany a minister of god for your good and not a terror to those who do good is is just a non sequitur like it just doesn't that's not even that's not even a coherent sentence and we have examples in the bible of jews and christians who disobeyed people in authority right like so like they on my podcast daniel 3 meshach radshach and abednego refused to bow down to king nebuchadnezzar and they were thrown in a a fire and preserved by god for their obedience and their refusal to bow down to anyone but god they were that that was a law that was passed by the babylonian king by the state quote-unquote and they disobeyed it so clearly the limit that God puts on those on authority is that 
they are to use their authority to only go after those who would initiate force against others. It's not to be, it, it, the minute you are, this is basically a proof text in Romans 13, is, descri- is not describing what the state is, it is prescribing the biblical norms for civil governance, which is that, well, go after those who do evil and leave the good people alone. So anytime there's any entity, whether it's a state, whether it's polycentric anarcho-capitalist government, like God is, Paul, God through Paul is basically saying like, listen, yeah, there are rules, but go after the evil people and restrain them from going and victimizing people and protect good people. And also in the context of Romans 12, like we cannot take on the evil that we are trying to oppose. So if your idea of stopping those who do evil is to yourself use evil against them. So it's like, oh, you know how we should stop people from stealing? We should steal 20% of the wealth from the entire country to create a standing army of people with guns who will quote-unquote protect your property, but really they won't show up till after a crime is committed and they'll enforce all of our rules. And no, by the way, if you don't pay this extortion and then you refuse to pay the fine, they'll come to detain you and arrest you at the point of a gun. Like, no, that you've become an extortion racket. You've become those who do evil <laughs> in the name of doing good. And this is not only antithetical to Romans 13. It's actually, in my opinion, it's a second commandment violation because you're taking the name of God. You're taking the name of justice in vain when you do so. So, you know, all it takes is reading these passages in context and seeing that, you know, really there's nothing there that's in violation of libertarian ideas of political structures and and authority. Like we're not anti-authority. We're not anti-law and order. We're just saying that those who are in authority are held to the same rules and standards as us. And they can't initiate force against peaceful people. There's nothing in Romans 13 or the rest of the Bible that comes in the conflict with that. And that's a, but that's a good example to start with because it's yeah. supposed to be the haymaker against our position. But really, in my opinion, it's almost like the strongest argument in favor of ours. I agree. And the way you explained that, I think, was fantastic. But another haymaker that someone might throw is render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. <laughs> render yes. God's what is God's. So what's your response or your description of the biblical text back on that. So I actually have a whole podcast episode I did like a month and a half ago. Plug your podcast, Um, we've talked about this. Yeah, so um, for like a very full detailed explanation, go to Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy. I forget the episode number, but it's part of my series, which is entitled Austrian Economics in the Bible. And send me the link and we'll, I mean, I'll have it on the show notes page for this. Yeah, yeah, I'll send you the link. So yeah, render unto Caesar. So I drew a little bit from there's actually a good article which we can plug this to and i plug this in my episode on mises.org that actually goes into this a little bit but to set the stage the pharisees brought up a trap for jesus right because the pharisees hated jesus they're trying to find any way they can to basically like throw him into the arms of the romans to have him killed or to have him discredited completely among the jewish people so back then i think we remember when you're reading the New Testament, if you've gone through it, how people would complain about Jesus and say he hangs out with sinners and prostitutes and tax collectors. Well, first of all, I always love how all three of those are thrown in like 
like the same thing. It's just like the sinners and the prostitutes. Okay, but but Jesus, the tax collectors. You hang out with tax collectors. Yes. It's, it's too There's far. There's a verse where the tax collector, I think, is referred to as the worst of yes. all three. Yeah. <laughs> yes. So, so yeah. So the reason for this is because the Jewish people had a very libertarian view, actually, of like the Roman Empire. They viewed them as like false authority, as claiming to be, you know, like Caesar claimed to be divine so he was claiming to be god and they viewed that entire government as illegitimate and the idea of paying tribute to caesar was to the jewish people an act of idolatry and like to do that was actually like you you would discredit yourself among the religious jews so they go to jesus with this question of should you pay tribute to caesar and their idea is they've trapped him right because he has no choice but to answer the question, either by answering what he knows to be the correct religious Jewish answer on this, and by saying so out loud, they will be able to then show the Romans, like, see, he's saying that your authority is illegitimate, and people shouldn't pay their tributes to you, which will get him in trouble with the Romans and locked up. Or he will have to find some way to say that you should pay tribute to Caesar, in which case... He's now discredited himself as someone who's simping for the oppressors. His answer is like a beautiful, like cutting through the bullshit answer and answers the question without getting him in trouble. It's an answer that only someone either as smart as Jesus or divine as Jesus could really come up with in the moment. Because he says, like, like almost mocking them. He's like, like, come on now. Like, bring me a coin, okay? A Daenerys is what he said. Bring me a Daenerys. That's what people who did business with the Romans used to pay tribute to Caesar. And so the Fer- one of the Pharisees brings out a Daenerys, not realizing this exposes the Pharisees as someone who's doing business with the Roman Empire and paying tribute to the Roman Empire. You didn't have a Daenerys unless you were paying tribute to the Roman Empire mm-hmm. at some point. So already Jesus has exposed them just there. But he says, so whose face is on this coin? And they say Caesar's. So then Jesus hands it back and he says, all right, so render to Caesar that which is Caesar's, but to God, what is God's? And then like the passage ends with the Pharisees going like and astounded by his answer. They just walked away <laughs> in, in anger. So clearly the Pharisees could not have taken his answer to, to mean for starters. Like, if that answer means pay tribute to Caesar, the Pharisees wouldn't have been walked, walking away upset. They would have been like, ha, we got him. But no, they knew that's not what he was saying. What he was saying was, listen, if you're going to do get in bed, if you're going to get in bed with the devil, if you're going to do business with Rome. Well, that's your own choice. So if you decide to, you know, this is kind of like, you know, through the New Testament, it's often repeated, like to pay tribute to whom tribute is owed and taxes to whom taxes is owed. But the idea behind that was like, if you go and you use some sort of service, you shouldn't be a freeloader and use that service for free. You should pay what you're owed. And this is really just a, another way of saying property rights should be enforced, right? By the way, there was no word for tax in Greek. It was just tribute. And tribute's kind of a generic term that just basically means like, like a duty, like something that's owed to someone. But again, I don't think libertarians would say, well, there's not, like there are times when like you do business with someone and you owe them something. Like if I go into a restaurant and I sit down and I order some food and the food comes out and I eat it and then they come to you with a check and I go, well, hold on. You didn't tell me up front that I had to pay. 
<laughs> like that's silly. Like there's an expectation and it's kind of like, you, you know, you don't need signs everywhere to be like, you know, okay, if you go and you do business with someone, if you consume something that they're providing for you, like there's sort of a contract there, even if it's not signed before you start that like you're supposed to pay them for their service. So, you know, a good Christian, a good godly person shouldn't be trying to cheat people or swindle people, give them what they're owed. But, you know, maybe you, if you work with Caesar, you owe him, but that wouldn't be something that Jesus would recommend you do because he follows it up with, well, give to God what is God's. So then we have to ask, okay, what is Caesar's and what is God's? Well, the Jewish and Christian idea would be that everything belongs to God, but what really belongs to God, what Jesus is getting at is to give God your worship, to give God your devotion, to say, I will not bow to any other king or any other divine authority other than God. That is what he's, that's the first commandment, right? You shall have no other God other than me. That is first and foremost what you owe God. And then you owe to God to follow his moral commands. That means like, do not steal, do not, do not bear false witness, do not, do not murder, okay? Well, the state does all of that. And Caesar was doing all of that as well as like promoting, you know, all this debauchery, degeneracy, and all these like just truly wicked, evil things that happened, you know, under the Roman Empire. So what does Caesar owe? Does Caesar owed that which he claims by force? You won't find that in the Bible. In fact, there's, you know, in that series I did, Austrian economics on, uh, in the Bible, there, there are so many passages throughout the scriptures that basically spell out property rights, saying like, you aren't owed, like, there's even a great passage, uh, it's the parable of the parable of the vineyard, where basically Jesus says, you're not even owed what is fair. Jesus says, you're not, you're not owed something from someone just because of this sort of like idea that like, like, well, everyone should get their fair share. What Jesus says is you're only owed what you agree can voluntarily negotiate with in the marketplace. So like, if you agree to get paid like $5 for something, and then someone else comes along and does the same thing as you did, but they negotiated to get $10, that person doesn't owe you $5 because right. you were a poor negotiator. So that's like the parable of the vineyard. So there's so many examples where Jesus and the scriptures are talking about like how, you know, basically like the Austrian view of property rights. So Caesar isn't owed what he claims by force. He's only owed that which he can negotiate for through a property rights-based system. So that's basically uh, the most condensed summary of that passage I can give. I go into much more detail kind of line by line in that episode that I can give you to plug. For sure. And anyway, I'll put that on the show notes page as well for everyone to, to listen to in full. So there's all these overlapping aspects between libertarianism and the Bible. There's, you know, you're, you're calling out these different areas where it's just it's purely, you know, you, you could look at it and say, well, did an Austrian economist write this? So we're going to, be, see to, be, to be clear, I'm not saying that like the Bible is actually talking about like using the same terms or like, right, right. Like, like the Bible predates Austrian economics. Like that's more of a, the economic views that we find in the Bible are basically the same as what Mises and Rothbard and the Misesians, you know, Austrian school of economics discovered and taught later. Yeah. The core of what I'm getting at is the principles in themselves. Yeah. That's where the overlap is not in the, how it's described or explained Right. We're even yeah. saying which one does it better because I'm, you know, there, I'm, I'm sure there's 
much better books, specifically on Austrian economics, um, written that are obviously the Bible is not an Austrian. Oh yeah, economics. like like yeah, the Bible is not a economic thesis. You know what yeah. I mean? Like mm-hmm. like you can find teachings about economics in it, but it's primarily a religious document about the relationship between man and God and the history of Jesus and the apostles and the early church. Whereas, yeah, you go get Human Action by Mises or Choice by Bob Murphy. Like you know, those are very clearly deep dives into the nitty gritty of <laughs> of economic principles. Yeah, a hundred percent. But to get back like to the principles, I've heard it said before that really libertarianism is really taking has taken these principles. Not they haven't stolen them, but they've used. There's a lot of the same principles that build up the uh, foundation of libertarianism. And I've heard it be said that really libertarianism is Christianity just w- without Jesus. Is uh, that yes. something? You're quoting the good old, whatever they want to be called, Praxian, post-lib, <laughs> disenfranchised, Misesian libertarians. Yeah, you know, I've heard this. Yeah. What, so well, yeah, what's your thought on that? Yeah. I tried to have this conversation with a guy named Adam Patrick on my show and I've tried, I've gotten to a little bit of this with Andrew from Popular Liberty, and I've tried to have Matt Erickson on my show, but he doesn't care to come on, although he likes to talk about me on his podcast. So, hey, free publicity, right? (laughs) So, listen, I think that I don't want to promote a, like, compartmentalized view of reality. Like, I don't think we should go through life where it's like, Right now, I'm a libertarian. And then you take the libertarian hat off and put on, oh, right now, I'm a Christian. And then you go home to your wife and your spouse and go, now I'm a father. Like, no, you should be an integrated being. And so, like, you know, as a Christian, I'll start there. As a Christian, first and foremost, uh, at the top of my hierarchy of what I want to see in society and when I'm conversing with people, whether they're friends or family or strangers, like, I want to see people's lives improved by you know, in the same ways my life has been improved by a relationship with Jesus Christ, by accepting the truth of the gospel message and the hope that's found in there. And I think that people going to church and living out the the morals and the values that are found in the Bible is the best way to live a life personally. It's the best way to raise your kids and to have a family. And I think your community is best lived out that way. So, you know, that's all nice and good, right? Like, that's what I want. I can't make people do that, right? Like, I, I can try, I do my best, you know, evangelize, meet people where they're at, but like, Christianity's existed for 2,000 years, and, you know, there's always been people in the world who aren't Christian. <laughs> it's sort of like, until such a time as if there is, you know, depending on your eschatology, if there's some sort of end times or transition to a different age or whatever, like, you know, as long as what we have now more or less continues, there are always going to be people who aren't Christians. So it's like, okay, a Christian value is peace, right? Like we're pro-peace, we're pro-loving our neighbor and loving our enemies and, you know, war and trying to use conquest to force Christianity on people to me is antithetical to Christianity. And I just want to say, doesn't work. interject what? here, I 100% agree with you, but someone listening to this who is not a Christian and we'll cite examples of, you know, neoconservative warmongers using the Bible as justification. Oh, yes. Uh, for going yes. to war. But, and yes. those Christians are using the Bible and using the religion in vain and twisting things. And they should be called out. 
and this is very similar to how when you know there are people who have called themselves and who i think are libertarians and they'll make libertarian arguments for what is essentially authoritarianism like we've all seen it whether it's like for you know like like i've seen people who have tried to make libertarian arguments for why america should go and go to war with russia in the defense of ukraine it's you know what i mean it's like now listen like i don't want to judge those people and be like you know you're not a real libertarian like i think at heart they are libertarian but like they're massively in this one spot misunderstanding and misapplying principles in that same fashion christianity could be true or valuable or good and yet there could be certain people who misapply it inappropriately and should be called out so that is a good point to raise and i believe i spend much more time punching across the aisle at my fellow christians than i do punching out at atheists or other religions because i believe kind of in the jordan peters peterson sense like clean your own room it's like you know it's like a you know get my house in perfect order i want to get my christian brothers and sisters uh you know to stop committing so many errors in the name of god part of what motivated my podcast but to get back to the other question so we shouldn't be using christianity to justify a conquest of the world to make everyone christian not only is that proven not to work but it's antithetical to everything jesus taught it's not what the apostles did not to i mean i don't know if this is maybe offensive to some people but if there's any religion out there that pre- that teaches that it's islam not christianity as far as like conquest by the sword christians have certainly done that in the past but now we're supposed to do we're supposed to try to live what romans 12 says word for word is insofar as it depends upon you live at peace with all like okay what is the best way to promote living at peace among all including those who aren't christians libertarian philosophy and what it says about both political structures and about economics those principles which are biblical principles i would argue but expounding upon those principles in libertarian activism is one of the best tools that Christians have for trying to live out that biblical call to live at peace among all people. I mean, you could maybe say that you could be agnostic on political theory and do nothing, and I guess that's fine. But if you're going to be promoting any type of political theory, to me, there's nothing on the table other than libertarianism as far as what you can promote that both is consistent with like a personal application of scripture and then also consistent with like reaching out into the community and trying to have a society in which you can live out those principles consistently so i understand the concern like like to steel man the concern that the praxian post-libertarian types have they don't like people who hyper compartmentalize their life and who like you know become almost ideological libertarians and put libertarianism almost above their christianity and i think there's a danger there but that's like there's a danger with that in anything and i think christians should be christians first but i think that a necessary consequence of consistent reading of scripture and trying to make scripture harmonious with itself and then to follow out the things that scripture tells us to do is you know like we and there's really not that many options right it's like it's either we leave people alone and try to use the marketplace of ideas and persuasion and peaceful activism to bring people to Christ as much as we can. And then leaving people alone, the people who refuse to do that, so long as they're not hurting people, 
or we don't, which basically just leaves on the table violence, which is like, well, the minute someone can make an argument that squares using violence to convert people to Christianity or to force Christian values on them with the entirety of scripture, I'll be impressed. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the way that I see the two sides of the argument or their disagreement or, or whatever it is, is those who believe that, okay, because libertarianism and Christianity are so close, why are we wasting our time with libertarianism and not just talking about Christianity and trying right, to bring right. people to Jesus? Then there's the, the other Well, the side. problem is not everyone who follows Jesus follows the correct political philosophy. So we kind of have a exactly. fight on both fronts. It's like, yeah, so you yes, still so need the other political. side. And I'm not yeah. saying one is right or wrong. I mean, I'm just kind of framing it for the listener here. And, right. uh, you know, may, maybe eventually we'll have a debate on this show and I can get Matt or, uh, or Adam to come on and talk to you. I'd be completely open to doing that. And I listen, like, I actually, like, I think more so than a lot of people in like our camps, so to speak, I try to get along with those people. Like, I love Pete Quinones. I love, I like Matt, even though he sometimes dodges me, but I, I still like what these people have to say. And I think, in some ways, they're at least more than a lot of people have been mostly good faith critics of like the Mises caucus and of like libertarian activism <laughs> more so than other people we've gone up against. So it's like, I think there's a baby in the bathwater there, but I don't think, you know, one has to just say like reject libertarianism and just like, it's almost like they, they want to reject thin libertarianism and substitute like a thick Christianity which is just like, like, listen, like, I'd love for everyone to be Christian, but like, they're not going to be. And there's also a lot of Christians who are deeply confused about economics and political philosophy. So we have there's, to. <laughs> yeah, the, the, there's the potential to to lead people to Christianity through libertarianism. Yeah, um, I'd say by that showing, too. you know, how similar the two are. If you're yeah. getting someone along that track who maybe is is an atheist and you has never, you know, has never had any sort of belief in God. And, you know, as they come to realize, maybe they stumble across your podcast after they're, you know, become a libertarian and start looking at these ideas. And then who knows what can happen? So I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, but I think it is. A, it's a very interesting discussion. And I, I really think a lot of this disagreement, especially in this area, when it comes to talking about Christianity between post-libertarians and libertarians, or whatever you want to call it, a lot of the problem comes down to, I think there there's a a perception of there being more anger and sort of animosity due to just Twitter yeah. being the vehicle of communication. <laughs> um, yes. If we were just talking to each other, like in person, I don't think any of us would think there was like a, you know, a bitter disagreement. Oh yeah. Well, like the whole, like I saw, and it was all, even that banter wasn't good fun, but Dave was ribbing them for making like a five hour podcast on if Dave Smith was a friend or a fed, but like, as much as there's like, you know, shit talking across the aisle, like that episode, they actually said, no, Dave Smith is cool. And we just disagree with him on political strategy and some stuff, which is fine. And to me, it's like, I actually commend them, like, go do your thing, like division of labor. That's a, a libertarian and a Christian idea. We want to talk about like what the Bible says about like the body of Christ and like, you know, the eyes are not the feet and the hands are not the mouth and like, you know, the different parts of the body perform different functions and not one is better than the other. And that's basically like the libertarian idea of division of labor almost right there. And like some people are going to focus on like community and building things that will hopefully come like, you know, ops that will either directly obsolete the state or if the state becomes 
irrelevant through some other means, these are things that will hopefully replace the state in their communities and stuff. So that's good. If if that's where your calling is, go do that. Other people, and like I feel this personally, I have more of like a, I feel like I could, a more evangelistic calling to kind of go out into the more public arena and to engage people. And whether that's, you know, and I can do both at the same time. Like, you know, you can walk and chew bubblegum at the same time. I can always be promoting Christian ideas and values. But then if I kind of like meet somebody and it's like, okay, well, they're not open to Christianity right now. It's like, well, let me at least promote the libertarian. Let me at least promote the political order that allows us to continue to have those conversations rather than be pointing guns at each other. Because the pointing guns at each other makes it hard to evangelize. (laughs) Mm -hmm. That's a great point. We are out of time, though. Before I let you go, though, please plug your podcast, let people know where they can find you on social and all that good stuff. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So podcast is on YouTube if you want to watch it live. Daniel 3, Biblical Anarchy on there. If you want to listen to the audio version that comes out later, that's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all that good stuff. Just search Daniel 3, Biblical Anarchy. And then if you want to follow me on Twitter, my uh, Twitter handle is at Biblical Anarchy, which is right here on the screen. And my website is Daniel318.com if you want to check that out. And yeah, that's pretty much it. I appreciate you having me on, John. Uh, A lot of fun. Jacob, thanks for coming on the show. Be sure to check out his podcast, Daniel 3, Biblical Anarchy, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, everyone. I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation I had with John Odermatt from the Finding Freedom podcast. So I just also wanted to take a moment here to remind you that when I was on that show, I was still doing my old podcast, the Daniel 3 podcast. And so plugs I gave there aren't exactly accurate. But of course, you can find me on Twitter at Biblical Anarchy and the podcast. Please leave it a review. Please share this around if you enjoy it. And also wanted to remind you to, if you haven't, check out the other amazing podcasts we have on the Christians for Liberty Network. We have a new podcast. I don't know if I had mentioned it yet or not over the last few episodes, but the Protestant Libertarian podcast with Alex Bernardo. We just recently added his show to our roster, and there's more to come. So a lot of great content, a lot of great conversations. This episode is going to be the last one for a week. So basically, the week after this airs, there won't be an episode. But then the week after that, my episode with Dave Smith will drop. So just the way that my schedule worked out, I put a little bit of a buffer in there, a little bit of a break. So I just wanted to announce that as well. There'll be no new content next week, but the week after that, you get my exciting, amazing conversation with Dave Smith. So I'm looking forward to sharing that with you. Thanks everybody for listening. And I will see you in a couple weeks. The Biblical Anarchy Podcast is a part of the Christians for Liberty Network, a project of the Libertarian Christian Institute. If you love this podcast, it helps us reach more with a message of freedom when you rate and review us on your favorite podcast apps and share with others. If you want to support the production of the Biblical Anarchy Podcast, please consider donating to the Libertarian Christian Institute at biblicalanarchypodcast.com, where you can also sign up to receive special announcements and resources related to biblical anarchy. Thanks for tuning in.